0: Uh, As we look at the Scripture today, we are looking at the servant of God, just to reiterate, as we're only about... It is at odds with Jesus Christ when we come into the church and say, what can you do for me? It's rather, what can I do for the Lord? And so as we are headed toward Calvary, as we're headed toward the risen tomb, we find ourselves having seen the early ministry, the three uh, basically years of ministry around the Sea of Galilee. We've seen over the last several weeks as Jesus leaves the Sea of Galilee and ascends into that great city, riding upon a donkey with their clothes laid before Him and with the palm fronds over His head, They cried, Hosanna. Now he is literally hours away from the mass crowds crying, crucify him. Our world today stands on the same kind of precipice, where there is still those who are faithful to see Jesus for who he is. But the majority of the world is crying away with him. We want nothing to do with this Jesus. And so we head into this verse. And as we look through, though only two books record the birth of Jesus, they all record His death. And as we look, we see in a verse that parallels the time of these verses in Luke chapter 22, verse 15, as we look at the servant's desire. The servant's desire. He said in Luke 22, 15, Jesus said, With desire, with desire I have desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. With desire. What do we desire? And I got thinking about this, this verse. With desire I have desired. It, it's, it's like this, this double positive of making it very vividly clear that his whole being was about a want and a looking forward to sitting down at the table with his disciples before his passion. I reflect back on growing up at Corner Baptist Church in Powder Springs, Georgia. And I think of homecoming, that as far as I know, they still hold it the first Sunday of August every year that dates back to I believe the same year that our church was planted around 1952 and they hold that homecoming every year every year, first Sunday of August and back when I was growing up they still had the homecoming concrete tables any of you ever go to church that had the homecoming tables outside nobody knows what those are Deborah and Mike know. Gail knows. Eric knows. All right, you missed it. You've lived a very sheltered past. Outside the church, on the right side of the church, were these two long, I'm talking about, they would stretch together the length of this room. They were a concrete poured table about this wide that And because of the ground, one was up here and one was like this because of the level of the ground. And on homecoming, you might as well just know once you got there, make no other plans. Today we went to doing homecomings where we cut out the song, the the music after eating, and we would just make a little longer service. Now we've got where we don't even do homecomings. We're missing a blessing. Because what I loved and I desired more than anything, I don't know that I could tell you a single message ever preached on homecoming. But I can tell you what I ate. Because at that table, it was spread, literally cram-packed in on the length of that table all the way from the very top to the very bottom. There was everything you could imagine. And back in those days, it was just game. It wasn't wild game. And what I mean by that, there was deer and there was rabbit, and there was a, but it was just food. We, it wasn't novel, it was just, hey, what you had, you brought. Miss Cook could bring her barbecue rabbit. Best thing I ever ate in my life. And I knew because my mother, and I was, I was a lot pickier back then. You can tell I'm not quite as picky as I used to be. But back in that day, I was very picky about what I ate and whose cooking I ate. And I knew down on the end, of uh, about middle ways of the end table, there was my mother's food, Miss Maggie's food, Miss Cook's food, and Miss Linda's food. And I knew I liked their cooking. And so I didn't worry about going at the top, grazing all the way down. I loved all those ladies, but I loved these ladies' food. And so as soon as the prayer was had and it was time to eat, I went straight to that one place. And man, did I desire that homecoming meal. And it was significant because it looked back in the planning of the church, the beginning of Corner Baptist Church. And it was recognizing God's goodness in continuing that church year after year. And we would come back. Now, one of the reasons we don't do homecoming anymore is because why go back to somewhere you don't go to start with? Amen? Oh, me. I'm preaching to the choir today. But Jesus said, I have a great desire. Man, I can't wait to sit down at the table with you guys. I've spent three and a half years sitting with you. We have sat down and meet together in Zacchaeus' house. We have sat together at your house, Matthew. When you were not where... You need to be, and you met me for the first time. We have sat down, Peter, at your mother-in-law's house, and we have eaten all over the place. We've eaten on the road. We've eaten in the wilderness. We've eaten on the boat. But I'm telling you, this meal is different than all the rest. This is the Passover meal that began roughly 1,500 years before that. Now, what is the Passover? Before we go any further, we need to really understand if, you're, if you've not read the Old Testament in a while, it's time to read the Old Testament. You cannot fully appreciate what it means when Jesus says I come to fulfill the law until you've read, uh, read about all the mice and the pomegranates and the rods and the gold overlay and how you're supposed to do this and how you're supposed to do that and all the other things and you realize dude, G- Jesus did all that so that my yoke would be easy and my burden would be light. And so the Passover recognizes three things. The act of the Passover, the festival of the Passover, and the meal. And I want to go through these very quickly. Looking at Mark chapter 14, and starting in verse 1, after two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread. The day of Passover was celebrated in the month of Bib on the 14th day and the Feast of Unleavened Bread was to begin on the 15th day, but they were to coincide. And so we look at the act of passover we find it in acts i mean in exodus chapter 12 and for the sake of time go home and read it yourself but we know what was going on we know that it was one of the greatest shows that god has ever put on before mankind god's people had been preserved through his servant joseph there in egypt but they had forgotten joseph isn't that what it said Because it had been hundreds of years, and Joseph was just a bunch of bones in a box. And now God speaks to Moses in chapter 3, I believe, on the backside of the desert through a burning bush. And he says, I'm telling you, go back to the place where your wanted poster still hangs. And you walk up to Pharaoh and tell him, I said, let my people go. You know the rest of the story. He told Moses... You tell him, I am sent you. Well, I'm going to tell you something. When the I am sends you, you better just go. And so Moses goes and he walks up to Pharaoh and he tells him. And Pharaoh says, you've lost your mind. So he increases their work. The, the Israelites rebel against Moses, but Moses goes back and he tells him, God said, let my people go. And we see everything from rods turning into snakes to the Nile turning into blood. And then we begin to see the major plagues of lice and frogs and hailstones and bulls and all kinds of things. I mean, Hollywood could not dream this stuff up. Y'all read this, right? It's pretty major, isn't it? Matter of fact, this story is mentioned over and over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament and now we see it mentioned here. And it all led up to that final act. The great act of the Passover. And so every time when it got worse and worse, Pharaoh said, "Okay, I'm gonna let him go." But before Moses could get out of his court, good, his heart became uh, Pharaoh's heart became hardened because of the judgment, and he said, "I'm not gonna let him go." And so he would make it even worse. And the people's mad at Moses, and Pharaoh's mad at the, at Moses, and everybody. And Moses said, "What am I gonna do?" God, and God says, "Listen, go back this last time," but I want to tell you. You need to go tell my people too. It's going to happen this time. I'm going to bring you out of this land with a mighty hand. Matter of fact, I'm not just going to bring you out. I'm not just going to do another type of plague. Matter of fact, I'm going to bring you out and I'm carrying you to the land of promise. You go borrow all the things from the Egyptians because you're not going to see them anymore. And you're going to need stuff for the coming days. You're going to need stuff to prepare the tabernacle. You're going to need stuff for the temple. They didn't fully understand all that, but they began to do it. And God sent Moses, and Moses said, Let my people go. And he said, I'll not do it. And God told Moses, said, You need to tell all the people that tonight the death angel will pass upon the land. And the firstborn of every home Now think about that. I'm the firstborn son. I would have been the first to go in my home had the blood not been applied. And here's the way he said, and this went for the Israelites as well as the Egyptians. He said, you need to go home and you take a lamb. Every house a lamb without blemish. And so they were to seek out the very best lamb they had. And this is what's cool. If the house was very small and very few people, there was not to be any waste. They were to share with their fellow neighbor. And they were to take this lamb and slay it. They were to take the lamb and take the blood, and they would put it in a bowl and hyssop this this bush, and they would dip it in the blood, and they were to strike it on both sides of the door, the doorpost. And what the Bible says, the lintel or the headboard above the door. All the way around the door of that home. Now we can look at all kinds of comparisons. But for the sake of time, I'll just simply say, you can look and see, Jesus said, I am the door. But the blood must be applied to that door because the death angel will come. I don't know about you, that's my favorite and most moving part of the movie, The Ten Commandments. Hollywood had a rough time trying to figure out how to make the death angel look and so it made it look like this green gaseous gaseous fog that just rolled through the streets of Egypt. And then you began to hear in the movie the the people crying and screaming and, and, and wailing as they found the dead in their home. You see, what happened was that the lamb was to be slain, the blood was to be applied, but then the meat, the lamb was not wasted, it was sacrificed, the blood applied, but then they were to consume the meat with unleavened bread. The lamb slain that the blood may be applied. The Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. From the very beginning, the f- first blood sacrifice was that of the goat that God took the skins and dressed Adam and Eve with. And from that point on, He was establishing the covenant of a blood sacrifice. And so it would come to the Day of Atonement where that sin offering would be offered for the covering of the sin of Israel. But it was all a type and shadow leading up to this very moment in Mark where the Lamb of God, the Lamb slain, Before the foundation of the world, a lamb without blemish would die on a cross for our sin. Now, if you're thinking, what has all that got to do with me? Well, you've got to ask yourself, has the blood been applied? You see, this was the very act. But then there was a festival set up and God says, you are to remember this. From now on, it was to commemorate Israel's deliverance from Egyptian bondage. I spoke with an unnamed person in this congregation who just celebrated a birthday. I said, "You had a birthday, didn't you?" "Yeah." Where? "Yeah." And I don't want to count up, but boy, they keep. I said, "Yeah, they do. They just they keep counting up, and counting up." And count... But we celebrate birthdays, don't don't we? I still like to celebrate them, and look. Here's one positive. If you're, I don't want to celebrate my birthday, I'm just getting older. Hey, it's another day above ground. It's a good day to eat cake. Gives you a good reason. I mean, listen, it's your birthday. Celebrate. Celebrate. Well, they were to celebrate what God had done in bringing them out with a mighty hand. Has God ever done anything for you? Can you literally today know the day God saved you and celebrate God's rebirth of your life. We ought to be celebrating what God does in and through us. It was to commemorate. He tells us that in Deuteronomy 16 and Leviticus 23. It was to remember to live each day. This unleavened bread was a sign of, he said, eat unleavened bread because there's no time to leaven it, to make it you know, rise because you're going to go out in a rush. It's a picture of living without sin and being always ready to serve God and go at the drop of a hat. I am so excited about our Guatemala trip because, and I told Andrew this, when we started talking about how many is going to go and looking at, at plane tickets, looking at amounts of money, and we started making a list while we were in Guatemala of people who we thought may want to go or be able to go. I said, but here's what's cool. There's going to be a few that surprises us. There's going to be, there's going to be people we, we didn't even have any idea would be going with us. And we do. We have several that it's like, that's cool right there. God is speaking to hearts. God is challenging people to do it. Well, when we look at what God, we're ready no matter where God sends us, what God wants from us, we must be ready. This is the festival. And I will tell you, we've got men's stakeout coming up. We've got on Palm Sunday, Sunday night, we're having uh, Easter egg hunt, hot dogs, family games, presenting the gospel, everything we do. Church, if we go to Love Seafood we have an Easter egg hunt, or we have a men's cornhole tournament, if we have kids basketball, if we do it and we don't present the gospel, then we're just another organization. It's about the gospel. It's about the gospel, church. Y'all looking at me like you don't understand. It's about telling people Jesus saves. It's about looking back at the cross of Calvary. It's looking at God's love for us and a love for a world that does not deserve it. Israel had rebelled. Israel had done so much. Why do you think they're in this shape? Over and over. I'm in 2 Kings. And it just it boggles the mind. And this one did evil in the sight of the Lord. And this one didn't learn. He did like his daddy. And on and on and on. And then they served God. But then yet they still did not take down the idols out of the groves. This one followed the Lord, but he did not remove this in the high places. And over and over they turned their back on God. They would join in with the people God told them not to join in with. We see that we are to live an unleavened life, one not puffed up with the sins of this world, but separated, and then we see the meal. Obedience to God's command to remember. He said, do it. Now I want to overlay this with our modern day ordinance. There was, there was, set, there was the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of the Passover, Unleavened Bread. There was the different offerings of sin offerings, burnt offerings, wave offerings, sheaf offerings. And there were very specific things they were to do. I want to tell you, God's blessed us, hadn't He? We don't have to set up tents out here And meet in them for so many weeks. We don't have to worry about all these other type festivals and stuff, you know. We don't have to worry about all that. But what we do need to focus on, we do have two ordinances, and Jesus said, Do them. If you're saved here today, you've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Number one, it is not your choice on whether to be baptized or not. Jesus said, Be baptized. The apostle said, be baptized. It is an obedience unto the Lord. And listen, if it was good enough for Jesus, and he didn't need to be baptized, but was showing forth what was coming in his death, burial, and resurrection, and in him, if you've been born again, there should not be any hindrance, no holding back, no drawing back to being immersed in the liquid grave that signifies dying to sin buried in the likeness of his death and raised in the newness of life. Baptism does not save us. But if you're saved, you'll want to be baptized because it recognizes you with the body of Christ. And then on Sunday morning, Palm Sunday, right here during the morning worship, there'll be no flowers on this table. But there'll be a white sheet, won't there? And it'll be kind of pointed up and there'll be things underneath there. And you know, the first few times I ever saw it as a pastor and I looked at that and I said, you know, it looks like a casket sitting down front. And it does commemorate a death, doesn't it? Is that not what it does? But when we take that sheet off, we realize we're not walking by for viewing, are we? What does the front of that table say? What is this? Remembrance. Remembrance. Now, at my age, I'm getting harder and harder to do that. To remember things. Remember dates. Remember what I'm supposed to do. Remember that if I don't get gas before it gets right below a quarter tank, I'll run out. Because then I really go brain dead and forget. But the one thing I cannot forget... It's what Jesus did for me. Now, think about this. The Passover, when they were celebrating it here in Mark 14, was looking back at what had come out, what God had done, right? But Jesus is saying, I desire it because I'm fixing to translate what this Passover will mean for all time. And no longer will you look back at that, but you will look backwards at what I did and look forward to my return. That's what he tells us. As oft as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And he speaks in 1 Corinthians about, and we do it until he comes back, looking forward. That's the meal that Jesus desired. Now I want you to look with me in verses 1 and 2. And after these two days, the feast of the Passover and unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. I'm going to tell you something. When we get our religiosity ahead of truth and justice and that which is right in the sight of God, we are all messed up. They said, oh, let's kill him. Let's just not mess up our religious day. You see, I want us to look at before the meal. Before the meal. First of all, the conspiracy begins. The dark days had begun. I'm going to tell you, the very pit of hell has been thrown wide open. I've been all over this world. And there's only been a few times where I literally feared for my life. To where it was the very, I mean, you could feel the demons. I I mean, I I can remember working in the prison system in Cobb County. And there was a convicted death row inmate that was back in court for something else. And I can remember walking by, and I came in the Sally Port, and there was a holding, holding cell there. It was a cage, basically. And they would bring them in, a vehicle, lock them up in the, in the cage right there in the Sally Port before they took them up. To the courtroom. And I'd walked by this place, and we'd been talking about the upcoming trial, talking about this guy. And in my young ignorance, I had no inkling that he was already there. And I'll never, ever forget walking by and t- turning and looking into the eyes of Jack Potts. And it might as well have been looking into the very eyes of Satan himself and seeing the depth of depravity of a man who had executed a 21-year-old man who had talked to a a court security lady into sneaking him a gun and shooting another deputy to escape and had done just the most dreadful, dastardly things. You and I both have been in places all all over where we felt the weight. Listen, the darkness had descended and the conspiracy had begun. And these, that the scribes, the chief priests, it says how they might take him by craft or by deception, how they would come up with a plot. I'm going to tell you something. When we go to plotting on how we're going to do this and do that, And not relying on faith, and what does God have to say about it? We're in for trouble. Listen, young people, stop trying to plot for friends. If I do this, then I can earn their friendship. If I can do this, to win favor. If I can do this, listen, when Aunt Becky spends $500,000 to get her kids, I mean, this is Aunt Becky we're talking about. We're talking about full house. She's released on a million dollars bond and we're talking about real life, not Aunt Becky who had conspired to buy off and it wasn't even buying the scholarship. It was just buying the attention of one. The depth and depravity The conspiracies of this world in government, in schools, in jobs, in all kinds of things. But there's nothing darker than the conspiracy against Jesus. What are you conspiring in your life? That you may be able to cut that part. I can still look at my Bible. I can come on Sunday. But I have conspired with the things of this world. The religious things that I cling to, that I hold more near and dear to my life than the one it's all about. What tradition needs to be sacrificed and its blood shed and spread over the doors of our life? What sacred cow needs its throat slit that we may go forward with the cause of Christ? And then we see in verses three through nine the ointment and flies Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 1 says that flies in the apothecary causes the ointment to stink we would say it like stone temple pilots flies in the ointment and it makes us stink it makes that it, it ruins and it's, the, it's literally the the, the nastiness of flies and maggots and the insect corrupting that which is perfumed and that which causes healing and a salve and a balm to our lives. He said flies will mess up the ointment. Well, I want you to notice the ointment, the one applying it, and the flies. It says, "In being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box. And this box of ointment was of spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head. Now this is not to be confused with the one who did basically the same thing and anointed the feet of Jesus. Here, it's at the last, uh, uh, before he is taken uh, into custody, she breaks this, this box full of precious ointment and pours it upon his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? They missed the point. Now I want to just go and tell you, those that are going to Guatemala as well as others, you know we had a cake auction a couple of years ago for our, our students and the students are having this this lunch next week and they're in pretty good financial shape and so, we're going to, we didn't have a cake auction last year. We're going to have one this year. The last Sunday night of April, we'll be having a cake auction to raise money for our mission trip. And there's some of us in this room that have paid exorbitant amounts of money for a cake. Now, that's good cake. All right. Miss Dean's hummingbird cake, worth every dime some of those other cakes, I can remember I think a peanut butter Reese's type cake and boy it went for I don't, but the most most expensive one went for close to a thousand dollars. So there ain't no cake in the world worth a thousand dollars. If you look at it that way, you're right. But how much is a soul worth? How much is a kid worth to hear the gospel? You see, it's all about how we look at things. Was this Ointment expensive? Well, yeah, but didn't Jesus deserve it? You say, what if I don't raise all the money? Well, David, I read this past week where David said, if I don't invest something in it, it's not worth having. You see, this woman cared so much about Jesus and seeing His time coming, she anointed His head with oil. And many had indignation and said, For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has wrought a good work on me. For you have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me you have not always. She has done that what she could. She has come forward hand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, he puts her right in there and says, throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. This simple act, you and I just read it this morning. Because Jesus intended us to see her faithfulness. Notice the ointment that she had come to anoint him for his burial. Are we doing those things that God has called us to? Are we willing to pay the price? It may seem valuable in this life. It may be our time. It may be our talents. It may be of our sacrificial giving for youth, for senior adults, for building a new building, for whatever it may be. God is calling us to surrender to His calling on our life. And all I've got to ask is, is He worth it? Is Jesus worth it, and is His cause worth it, or will we be the flies in the ointment? These flies hovered around. She's there. She's anointing the Son of God, and the flies hovered. They hovered around and they just buzzing. I mean, there's nothing worse. Be sitting there and you just you keep hearing one and you just wearing you out. Just wearing you out. Just I mean, you swat and it just stays right, just wearing you out. That's what these were. But I want you to understand something about them. You say, I can't believe they'd do that. I mean, did they not get it? I want you to hear my words this morning. As we're about to look at what Judas Iscariot did, I want you to look at what they did. It said there were some that had indignation within themselves, so it had to be more than one. And I want to make this statement. I want you to ask yourself. Is it me? And here's the statement. There's a little Judas Iscariot in all of us. We can look at Something the students do. I don't understand why they got to drive all the way to Atlanta and do all that and listen to all that stuff and that's like a rock concert and blah, 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 blah. Why we got to do it on this day? Why we got to do it on that? Why can't we do it at this time? Why don't we start Sunday school at 9 15? Why do we do this? Why don't we have Wednesday night? Why don't we do Sunday night? Why do we do this? Why don't we? Listen. Are we the flies or are we the ointment? Are we providing the balm of Gilead? Are we encouraging? Are we anointing the, those who are serving God? Are we teaching our young people how glorious it is to serve a risen Savior who has brought us life and love and joy and that there is no condemnation to them are in Christ? Are we saying, hey, if you do it our way, you'll be blessed. But if you don't do it exactly like us, you won't fully get it. Now, I'm not talking about the basis of faith. I'm talking about the traditions of men. Be the ointment. Don't be the fly. But notice a covenant of betrayal. He said in verse 10 and 11, Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest. He went to them to betray him unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Can I go on and tell you, it's not going to be worth it, is it? What did Judas Iscariot buy with his money? Anybody tell me? Anybody know what he bought? He didn't buy anything. They did buy the land with that money. But if you remember, he tried to give it back. But it was too late. And he threw it down, ran out, and hung himself. He bought himself a ticket to hell. In his condemnation, because of his covenant of betrayal, the son of perdition sold out the son of God for 30 pieces of silver. What are you covenant in your heart to betray the Lord? Is it an affair? just going to tell you. People in church have affairs. Don't do it. Right now in your thought processes, somebody's showing you a little attention and it's nice. Right now, some little boy's saying, if you love me, this. Some girl's saying, oh, but if you love me, you won't worry about this. You'll go this way. You'll do this. Your friends are saying, if you really love me, then you won't judge me and you won't do all this stuff. Throw out everything you've ever been taught, everything you've ever believed, and they have bought it in and got, and they're trying to get you to buy in. That if you stand for right means you don't like them. I'm going to tell you something. The people you love the most is the people you'll be the most honest with. But you'll do it in love. This hateful thinking that it's just our right to say whatever we want in however way we want to do it has no relation and no reflection of who Jesus is when Jesus spoke hard words he did it with love and compassion knowing it broke his heart that their lives were broken am I right you know that whole thing I don't know if your parent ever told you this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you my daddy may have thought that but I don't believe he ever said that I think my daddy was thinking it's going to hurt you a lot worse than it hurts me And he would have been right. But his heart was breaking. I want you to know, God wants us to guard ourselves from the things that may so easily come at us and to guard ourselves from from the sinful things of betraying the Lord. David, when he should have been fighting with the kings, was at home. Right? Right? When Solomon should have married in his own country with his own people, he entered into treaties and he took the wives of foreign countries that bought their idols that began his downfall. And I can't help but ask the question, how could a man so wise be so stupid? But he died a broken man. and He didn't die with the same testimony that his father David did. And the kingdom was rent out of his hand. Listen, a covenant of betrayal, but then notice during the meal. All this is setting the stage for the meal. During the meal, we find happiness turning to heaviness. He said in verse 17, And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, One of you which eats with me shall betray me. Wow. Nothing like just... Ice cold water thrown in your face when you're feeling all warm and cozy. They'd sit down, they're honoring the commitment, they're, they're honoring, honoring the covenant, they're partaking of the Passover they prepared, they're in this room, they have done everything that they're supposed to do. And then Jesus says, One of you is going to betray me. And the happiness becomes heaviness. Can I tell you something? The happiness of this world cannot compare to the joy of the Lord. The Bible says that Moses chose to follow God rather to, than to enjoy sin for a season. And so their happiness became heaviness. And notice what happened it said, and they, as they sat, he tells them this in verse 19. And they began to be sorrowful and to say unto him one by one, Is it me? And another said, Is it me? Is it I? And he answered and said unto them, It's one of the twelve. Statistically, it's not very good odds for you, it's one of you. The one that I speak of is sitting right here. And we see later, he says, the one whose hand that dips in the cup with me, that sups with me, will betray me. They all began to say, is it I? Is it I? Except for one. who said, who is it? And that was John the Beloved. Listen, fellowship and friendship turns to question and suspicion. They began to think, well, I... I haven't done anything. And then they begin to think, well, who is it? Have you ever read something on social media that says uh, unspoken prayer request"? They get more comments than any other. And people are trying their best spiritual way to find out what the unspoken request is. Just call them or private message them and say, I can't pray for you until I know if you've got to know that bad. Or just say, okay, I'm going to pray for them. You ever had an unspoken request? I've had stuff on my heart I couldn't even pray. So no, there's never anything. Well, Romans 8 tells us differently. That sometimes we can be so heavy, we don't know how to pray. Have you ever been in such a strait? have you ever been so conflicted, you didn't even know how to pray? I've got good news for you. The greatest thing that you could pray in the midst of all that, your will be done. You want happiness in your life? You want the perfect peace and joy that goes beyond understanding? Pray. Thy will be done. There's nothing greater than can happen to your family. You want the best for your kids, parents? I do. Do you know what I have to pray? Thy will be done. You want the best for your church? You want the best for your marriage? Thy will be you don't understand, this. my person's in rebellion, my, my this and my that. Thy will be done. Questions and suspicions. You know, we can come together and we can have a great time. Man, we had night to shine and stakeout's going to be great and Easter egg hunt's going to be great and, and, and Guatemala trip and all that. But you think for a minute, Satan's not going to try to start planting seeds of doubt and confusion and questions, and suspicion. Well, they just want this, and he just wants his way. She's just trying to demand everything and try to cause our supper, our dining together at the table of the Lord to become that which is hated. Listen, we've seen before the meal and during the meal, but I want you to notice after the meal. So they've went, they've sat down at the table. Jesus says, take, eat, this is my body, this is my blood. But now we find ourselves in verse 32 after the meal. They came to a place which is named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I shall pray. And you know he goes and he pours out his soul. He says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death tarry here and watch. And he went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed. If it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And then he came, he says in verse 37, and he found them sleeping. And he said, Simon, sleepest thou? Really? You're asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The Spirit truly is ready. That the flesh is weak. I want you to notice the agony of rejection. He starts by looking at verse 32. We've seen they've rejected Him. All the religious leaders have cast Him out, cast Him aside. They don't want anything to do with Him. They're plotting from the very beginning. And now we see the agony of isolation. Listen, He goes to pray. And He's gotten apart from the from the twelve, and he's taken his inner circle. He's taken Peter, James, and John. These guys have been on the Mount of Transfiguration for heaven's sake. They've seen the mighty hand of God like no others. And they couldn't even stay awake for an hour. Sounds like an average Baptist in a worship service that goes longer than an hour. Can we not Can we not worship and pray? Can we not have a revival from Sunday through Wednesday? Can we not have a Sunday all day revival and have morning and evening? Can we not worship for one day? Can we not pray for one hour? Eleven disciples denying three sleeping. Only one stayed with him at the cross. Only one. That was John the Beloved. Eleven disciples said it. We are not with him. Oh, y'all are Galileans. No, we're not. One, even the inner circle of the inner circle, Peter, who had fell asleep, Peter, who had been walking on the water, who had seen thousands fed, who had been on that mount, and so many things, cursed and said, I have told you for the last time, I'm not with that man. Eleven denying. Three Three sleeping. I'm going to tell you something, young people. Hear me. If you love the Lord, I'm talking about love Jesus more than just a fellowship Christian athletes meeting once a month. I'm talking more than the Lord's prayer before a ball game. I'm talking about more than just the youth meeting and eat pizza once a week. I'm talking about getting the Word of God, praying, and leading your friends to Jesus. Not going to church because your friends do. Going because it's what God wants and you bringing your friends. Then the world will isolate you. They'll mark you and they'll say, listen, don't even invite him. He's not going to go to this kind of stuff. And at first it's going to hurt, but then you're going to take it with a, as a badge of honor. Not in arrogance, but in humility that the world recognizes you don't run with the world. You run with Jesus. Be proud of who you are. Listen, youth, I'm proud of y'all. I sat up last night and watched all your snaps. I watched Mandisa. So she's one of my favorites. And I mean, was it Danny Goki? Wasn't he there? They sang together, didn't they? Pretty good. I saw all the streamers and all that. And people, listen, our youth, nine of them and our, our leaders were at a gospel concert last night. They could have been anywhere in the world. They were right there, worshiping the Lord. But the world's going to isolate us when we stand for Christ. Finally, the agony of condemnation. What we talked about with Judas Iscariot—the agony of knowing. Because you see, the Bible tells us that it's not—it's not because of something we did. You know, we we. We rationalize, well, this person's worse. and We justify our actions based on someone else. But it says, because of our unbelief, we're condemned already. But by the blood of Jesus Christ, we find no condemnation. There's no other way to escape than the blood of Jesus. Y'all, y'all hear what I'm telling you? The preacher can't fix it for you. Mom and daddy can't fix it. Listen, Miss Michelle in the children's department, Andrew in the youth department, listen, uh, good singing, good worship, summer camps, none of that can fix you. It can help you, but it can't fix you. The blood on the door of your heart must be applied. We sang this morning, Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. Worthy is your name. I want to ask you as they come this morning, what's your desire? Do you desire to sit at the table of the Lord? Just to sit. You know what I love about, you know, I talked about homecoming growing up, but I love sitting around my mother's table. And one of the best parts, another thing I love is when I get to go to a, like a Georgia Baptist meeting or something, and I get to see pastoral friends that I don't see any other time of the year, and we always plan, hey, let's go out and eat. You know what the best part is? It's cool that we get to eat different places, but the cool part is when we sit back and we just relax and talk after the meal. Just to catch up, fellowship. When's the last time you sat around the table with the Lord? When's the last time you had a deep desire to come and kneel before His feet? To anoint Him in honor and glory that only He deserves. What's your desire today? His desire was to go to Calvary. That was His whole desire. To please the Father. If you don't know the Lord, you know that if the death angel passed your way today, there is no hope. And today is the day. Listen, today is your day. The day of salvation. Knowing God has spoke to your heart. The Bible has spoke to your heart. Jesus died on the cross for your sin. That you may know that you are saved forevermore. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. Not of any kind of thing we could do but because it's a gift of God, freely given. Why don't you come trust Him as your Savior? Maybe you need to get your baptism in order. You need to get baptized because you've been saved. You need to do that. You need to join with this church today. You need to do what God's called you to do. Whatever it is, may your desire focus on Him. Stand and come. Come to Jesus.